Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 128. Today we have the privilege to be joined by Daniel Mangana, who also has his own podcast, Do It With Dan. And uh, he also has a book called The Money Game. He has a program that he teaches people called Beyond Intention Paradigm, talking about four steps to uh, break paradigms and create new paradigms. And uh, if you don't know what any of that stuff means, listen to the podcast and then go look for him as well. Uh, Mangana is M-A-N-G-E-N-A if you want to go look him up on Google and find his podcast and stuff as well. But uh, before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you as always, you are absolutely priceless and nothing in this world can change that. That's an unending state. And uh, so whatever happens, whatever you do right or wrong, whatever people say, do or have around you, nothing can change your priceless state. And uh, you're above the monetary systems of this world. The riches are found in you. And of course, along with that, you're never alone. Uh, I'm here for you. And lots of others, sometimes we get lost in this little confusion that we are alone. And then we start to be real with ourselves. Uh, And even if you have people that should be close to you and supportive and whatnot and aren't, uh, there are others who are uh, and would be and will be be uh, if you take a little initiative on your own part. You're not alone. You can reach out, by the way, info at empowerhumans.com. We're recording this as we enter the holiday season, and uh, it's November now. And, uh, you know, I, I know this time of year is tough for a lot of people, especially in a year like this. This has been a rough year for a lot of people. No one expected, hey, it's a new decade. We're going to, everything's so exciting. And then a couple months in, here comes this coronavirus thing and political turmoil and all kinds of other stuff. But regardless of that, uh, we can be united as a human family. We can be there for each other. And again, you're priceless. You're not alone. Uh, by the way, I want to apologize to uh, last week we didn't get our podcast out. There's a few little scheduling things and other things that went along with that. But uh, I just wanted to point out I didn't forget. It's just that's kind of what happened. <laughs> Usually we're pretty consistent every every single week. Um, before, we, again, we jump in the interview, just quick our challenges. Study, keep studying, start studying. Always look for something to learn from. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever uh, goes on, there's always learning experiences. We can sit, contemplate, and learn and hone into the energy around us in the universe to get answers about stuff. But also, there's plenty of knowledge in the form of books, videos, and other things. Uh, like I've always said, no one has any excuses these days. All this stuff is at our fingertips, quite literally, through smartphones and laptops and <laughs> whatever the, uh, the heck else we use. Uh, we have so many options, and we need to look at ourselves. Despite all these uh, adversities and things that have gone on, especially this year and throughout our lives, uh, always look at the bright side. There is a bright side. I know that sounds a little mystical and silly to some, and even in some ways, sometimes it sounds silly to me, but in reality, it's not silly because uh, in light of anything and everything that goes on that was kind of this unintended negative feeling, there's always something positive around it. There's always some learning experience. There's always some new opportunity, uh, even if something comes to an end, a relationship, business, whatever that might be. So please hold on to that, that reality. There's always something positive. Uh, there's always a new light uh, at the end of this tunnel of whatever this is. This too shall pass, as they say. Um, I went off a little tangent. We're talking about studying, but studying is going to help keep our minds in the right place. If we're studying truth, uh, whatever that might be for you, uh, find those things and and follow your gut with what rings true to who you are, what you are, and what you know you're about. Uh, our second challenge, make great moments. I love doing that. I always talk about my boys. Uh, they're the most important thing in my life at this point. And, uh, you know, we do Legos. We throw the football. 
my older son likes doing the football and he plays some video games and we spend time on those topics. Uh, and my other son, uh, he likes the Legos and building and stuff like that. And we play Tetris. He's getting really good. He beats me now at Tetris, which I thought I was pretty good. I still am. But he, <laughs> at eight, he beats me at Tetris. Uh, but make great moments. It doesn't have to just be playing around. It can be surprise and show love as well. Write, you know, go buy a card at the store and uh, or write a note. Find some paper and write a note. Stick it to the mirror with your uh, spouse or significant other. Things like that go a million miles. It's funny. The little things make all the difference because it took a lot of initiative to do a little thing sometimes. And then you get in the habit of doing it more and more and you keep these relationships alive with uh, friends, family, loved ones, uh, intimate relationships and so on. So make great moments. And of course, study. And the last challenge is Let's keep doing this podcast together. I'm really excited to bring you this interview, and it's been two weeks coming because uh, we didn't get one out last week. Uh, again, my apologies for that, but love you, appreciate you, we're flattered you spend time with us. Let's jump right in with Daniel Mangena. Here we go. We are pleased here to welcome Daniel Mangena, who is an author and speaker, and uh, I, I really loved your story, Daniel. That's why I wanted to invite you to come on the podcast and chat with you today. Coming to us today from Cabo in Mexico. We've never had someone come to us from Cabo. <laughs> So, uh, how are things in Cabo? By way today? of London as well. Yeah, but they are definitely definitely sunnier there in the UK. So, uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for having me on. Feel really happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's our pleasure to have you. Uh, do you speak Spanish at all, by the way? Or I mean, you're in Cabo. Más o menos, señor. Más o menos. Más o menos. What's really funny is that um, what's really funny is that um, when I first moved to Mexico um, three years ago, two years ago, whenever I did. I was in another part of Mexico, um, central Mexico, called San Luis Potosí, and there nobody speaks English. It's like central Mexico. It's not Mexico City. It's not cosmopolitan. If you want to survive, you've got to speak Spanish. I remember going to the dentist and having Google Translate out. It was a mess. And um, so I was like forced to really get my Spanish really sharp. Then I came here and everybody speaks English. So I, I'm like, I, I want to practice my Spanish. I want to <laughs> practice. They're like, no, we want to practice our English. So it's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I learned Spanish. I lived in Chile for a little while. Most of the folks down there don't nice. speak much. They know all the cussing. They'll cuss us out in English. They get it wrong yeah. sometimes. <laughs> They'll say things like mother F you, which isn't something we say in English. Uh, <laughs> it's something I never say anyway, of course. But it's funny because they hear they hear our cussing in the English movies because you know we put out most of the good movies. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it, but the course. ones who do speak English want to speak English too. That's I found that as well. So it's like everyone's trying to practice their new language. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what brought you to Cabo from from London? Uh, it, I mean, it's not a bad choice, you know. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but where did it come from? Yeah. So what was it? so I was. I was called to do the work that I do now, the long and short of it. And in that calling, I was traveling around the world uh, for nearly a year. Um, I was in the Middle East. Um, I was in different parts of Europe, around the Americas, Canada, Mexico, the States. And uh, got to the point where I was, I was invited by some friends to look after their house in San Luis Potosí, Mexico, because they were moving to Australia for six months. Mm. And they've got a beautiful home, gated community, swimming pool, came with their maid. It was cool. You know, but just, <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, take I'll, care I'll of my house. Yeah. And then um, I'll take care of the house. Don't worry. So got to live rent-free somewhere and just look after the house for them. Um, <laughs> which was great when I was sort of living off savings, just running around trying to teach the world to 
create their own reality. And then I got invited to come up here uh, to scan, to scout the place for some speaking engagements. I'd been here before uh, a year or two earlier, um, but I hadn't seen Carbo. I kind of came out of the airport, went to the resort, went back to the airport kind of thing. So I came out here, was meant to be here for three days, just fell in love with the place. Three days turned into 10. And then I kind of just moved into a hotel and was living in a hotel for a year, <laughs> which was great because I was always traveling. So I got to leave my stuff. I mean, I was a regular. So they would always upgrade my room and I'd get extra bottles of water. And when I did need to go somewhere, they just let me leave my the main bags, my main bags in their storage without any cost. And, oh, nice. you know, they knew, they knew what I liked to eat at the hotel restaurant and they knew what wine I liked at the bar. It was really cool. <laughs> it was across the road from the beach. Yeah. And it was like 1800 bucks a month to live in a hotel, basically having a studio apartment sized room where yeah. someone does my bed every day was great. <laughs> um, and then I, I got my, the penthouse I've got now, I, I moved into last year, uh, finally put down some roots and got an actual house, but yeah, I came to scout it, um, fell in love and just stayed. And that was wow. it. That's uh, quite the story. 1800 bucks in a month isn't horrible. Uh, I mean, you probably get a little more all. for that money if it wasn't a hotel, but it's still, it's a place to live and, you know, you got your- Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so obviously we've, we've filled everyone in that you're a speaker and author, but your story is so unique and so amazing. And I can just tell talking with you now <laughs> that the energy is, is real special energy that you have. Tell me a oh, little you. of your story. You, yeah. It's, you know, I have that sense with people. Uh, uh, and I've talked to a lot of people. We we get great guests on. Fabulous, uh, <laughs> honored to be here among them. Yes, yeah, we're honored to have you. Tell me your story. Uh, whatever details you like to, I, I like to go back to childhood. This is where people form a lot of their view of the world, and things change, and they they hopefully find some calling or what they're good at, or and usually some adversity. Talk, talk to me about that, would you? Do you know what's really interesting, Phil? We could probably do like five separate podcasts on the five different phases of my life. Yeah. <laughs> where we've got like a be whole beginning, middle, and an end. Like, <laughs> but the, I'd say, you know, child of immigrants, but the interesting thing about the immigration of my parents is that they weren't economic immigrants. My parents immigrated to the UK in the 70s um, when people weren't immigrating from Africa to the UK in the 70s, the African immigration thing kind of happened in the 90s. You know, my cousins and stuff that came over from Southern Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and South Africa tended to do that in the 90s. My parents came because my dad had kind of got as far as he could with his education. And he definitely wanted to pursue a more aggressive master, master's program. And then he had intentions on a PhD, which he did. So they came over in the 70s. My older brother and sister were five and three, I think, when they came to the UK. Uh, I was born top end of the 80s. I was born an accident, um, which my older sister loves to remind me. Um, no, seriously, my dad went to Zimbabwe for like, I don't know, a long time, eight, nine months, came oh. back and I was born nine months later. So I was the welcome <laughs> home present. Um, Not a horrible story. Cool. Um, Not a horrible story, yeah. So, you know, I, I always think, like to think that I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this chance to come in and, and do something. So middle class upbringing, education is the key, very strict sort of conservative Christian upbringing. But I never really 
resonated with a lot of the stuff that I was told I had to resonate with. I was asked too many questions at church. Frequently, I was quoted uh, Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things are of God, in order to shut me up when I was asking questions like, but, you know, how can Adam have come from Eve when women are genetically 2.67% more complete than a man? I don't understand it. And <laughs> how do we have all different blood types and other sorts of questions? It's like, yeah, secret things are of God. Ah, shut up. Um, so I was always a seeker. Um, I was always entrepreneurial. I started my entrepreneurial journey around the age of five or six. I did a breakfast in bed service at home, employed my sister to do all the cooking. That was great. Um, <laughs> and uh, entrepreneurship was always there. Kind of going up against the system was always there. Uh, and uh, I went to a predominantly, we lived in a predominantly um, white British area in my early teens, mm -hmm. which had some challenges. Not even from, I would say, I mean, I look at the challenges that some people face around race and mine wasn't for the most part outright hate so much as didn't know. So I'll give you an example of a question conversation I had with some guys who I'm talking about, we've been in high school together for four years together by now, you know, they slept at my house. I'd slept at their house. And, uh, remember the guy's name, Dave, you know, him and my friend, Gary were walking to school and I said, Dan, can I speak to you? I said, yeah. He goes, just wanted to say, and they kind of looked at each other, like almost to give a high five that they were having this conversation. They're like, you know, um, didn't really know any color people before you, but you know what? Color people are all right. <laughs> and that was, that was the conversation. So it's like nice. breaking. Well, the thing is what I, I understand now as I've had other similar conversations, obviously when you're grown up, the conversation is a bit more politically correct than sort of teenage hormonal, hormonal boys. But many times I've been an opportunity for people to engage with something that's different without having the fear that inherently comes from something that's different. So I've seen myself in many instances as being uh, a facilitator of change in opinion or a facilitator of people being able to have a different relationship to something and that's not just around the race that also comes down to reality creation and spirituality which is where my work is now giving yeah. people the under the opportunity to engage with that it without all the woo woo you know, new moon psychic lady martha stuff because i i take these ideas i take these concepts and present them in a way that people can engage with practically and reasonably if that makes sense yeah yeah Interesting. Yeah, that's and I've I've never been to the UK and I would love to go and I've and I've kind of wondered that dynamic between um you know here in America we we use the term African American but you were African uh mm -hmm. British essentially uh you, they use these black these black black British is the the PC term in the UK. Oh okay, black British. So what what is what is yeah. that dynamic like? It sounds like there's just like over here at times, depending on who and where you are, there's, there's still some levels of uh, misinformation at the very least, if not flat out racism. What, what is that? I, we don't need mm -hmm. to dig too much into this to the extent you'd like to, but, but just as a, a flavor. Yeah. Just to understand the dynamic growing up because I'm a white person and uh, you know, I, mm -hmm. And I've had some black friends and we talk about, I, you know, I don't know what it's like being just a black man in America. I'm just white man here. And mm -hmm. probably there's some like 
normal American, I don't want to use the word entitlement. It's just like, it's, it's, it's easier for the white people. And I regret that that's the case. It shouldn't be, but talk to me about Mm -hmm. that if you would, Mm -hmm. to the extent you want to, and then we can get into some other things too. Sure. Sure. I mean, here's the thing. I had a podcast with a friend of mine, Kyrie, great guy. Um, He's from Houston. Yeah. And we had this conversation um, on his podcast, the, uh, all that podcast. And I was like, do you know what? The, Black experience is very different, but in some ways the same mm-hmm. in the US and the UK. So, for example, in the UK, there are areas where it's quote unquote not safe to go as a black person, where the hate levels, where we've gone beyond ignorance and into hate, or ignorance becomes hate. But generally speaking, maybe you're going to get beaten up. Maybe. Maybe the beating up might be a bit se- severe, but I don't go into those areas fearful of my life there are parts of the U S that I would never go to because I don't know if I'd make it out alive. And there are, you know, the, the experience mm. for a, a black British versus an African American in terms of the danger levels are very different, you know? So I would say there is, is there prejudice? Yes, there's prejudice, but the prejudice is also happen within black communities also. So, for example, um, those of Caribbean descent and those of African descent sometimes don't get along. So you find inter with like within what do they call it in interrate within race within the race is racism that happens that way. Then yeah. you get people from different parts of Africa are racist against each other. Then people with different grades of skin color. So that there's this all this fraction all this fractioning off that's happening. Yeah. But essentially, what it comes down to is that. There is prejudice. I haven't felt it as much as some of my friends have done because mm. I'm from a middle-class family. I don't have the poverty aspect as well, which is where the, the socioeconomic aspect of it also has an impact. So a lot of the parts of the UK where the black experience is a lot more challenging because it's combined with the socioeconomics, I didn't have. So I did have some privilege in that regard. Yeah, But ultimately... The, the ignorance is there. The hate is there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the privilege does exist for some, but it's not as mortally dangerous as it is in the U S because of course we don't have, you know, we don't have guns. We don't have the same law structure where you can take someone's life. And it, you know, there are conditions where, where you can do that. We don't have that in the UK. We, we have yeah. a different rule of law. And so the mortal danger isn't the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, all great points, and I appreciate that insight because I've, I've wondered about that, and I've seen that, and you know, and we talk a little different in the U.S. And I'm so I'm used to if I see mm-hmm. someone, and I I hate that we as humans have this tendency let's group ourselves off because of how we look or where mm-hmm. we're from, and it's just unfortunate and frankly, mm-hmm. lack of a better word, just stupid. Let's just be real. <laughs> people yeah. are people. We're all part of we're the stupid, same. But go ahead. But it's a persistent, a persistent, ugly truth, though. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of one of the things I've not really liked is this whole narrative of reverse racism. And we're not going to go down this road here today. But, you know, the reverse racism or like, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, it's just the same energy, you know, just in a different hat. It's not going to change anything. It's just going to have the same energy percolating and therefore the same experience being given life. So um, even like when you look in the comedy scene, for example, 
I don't like that if you look one way, you can make a certain type of joke, but if you look a different way, then you can't make it. Yeah. A white comedian stands on, on the stage and says a joke about a black person and about their race. He's a racist. A black person does it about a white person. It's funny. I don't, I don't like that yeah. personally, but um, I have my views on it. Yeah, there's a lot of views. <laughs> I have my views on it. I wish we could have yeah, more of these just I, frank conversations because I, I just, you know... <laughs> I, I don't i don't feel like i'm racist in some level there's probably some level of any of that with anyone no matter who they are of just like some yeah some prejudgment or or you know stereotypes yeah. or whatever but all in it's all in all insidious i think yeah and i and i think that this topic underscores a lot of it sounds like what you do in terms of paradigms and stuff uh you have this beyond intention paradigm system i want to get into that in a second yeah but real fast as much as you want to, as as a child, um, I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but uh, I understand there was a diagnosis and also you had a, uh, at the age of 20, something happened as well. Do you want to talk about any of those mm-hmm. things as it relates to your life experience? Sure. Let's, 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 let's get into it because I mean, like I said, we've got these different chapters of my life that have beginnings, middles and ends. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was... Um, I mean, the diagnosis of Asperger's I got, I didn't get until I was 27 years old. Yeah. So I spent an entire year, an entire life, sorry, living as an autistic person, not knowing that they were autistic. So suffering with the, the, the byproducts of that, right? The challenges around it without getting appropriate support because I didn't even know I had that challenge. Mm. So I, I had severe anxiety, severe general anxiety, social anxiety, very limited in my ability to relate with people because I didn't know that I had a different way that I was called to relate to people because I'm autistic and people don't, people get, you're autistic. Yeah. Well, I've spent, you know, nearly three decades practicing, forcing myself to be mainstream, (laughs) not knowing, not knowing that I was carrying. And when you look at my, uh, my charts, I've got spikes in the social so I've got a couple of spikes in my, in my, my map, basically. Mm-hmm. That means I'm kind of like the perfect autistic spy in the mainstream world. Like, oh, he's an undercover, <laughs> under, <laughs> under, undercover Asperger's. And, um, and I've been blessed as well. That, I mean, I don't consider my Asperger's to be a disability uh, because I've been so blessed with it. My, my payoffs that I get, my ability to take information and process it, um, even down to silly little things like my ability to remember sequences of numbers and to, to, mm-hmm. to, I've got a pitch perfect voice. I can copy a sound. So with my, with music, I can hear something once, but then it's the same with languages. If you tell me what something is once, I will always remember what it means. I may have to practice it a few times to speak it, but I'll always remember what it means. So I've got some really great benefits that's helped me a lot. Yeah. So the Asperger's was, 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 a was, was, it was great to have the freedom of understanding why. Oh, that's why I couldn't really connect with people. That's why I struggled to, to form relationships. That's why romantically I've always had difficulty because I just need to look at the world differently and relate to it differently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that insight too. Um, that's an interesting. What's interesting about it to me is the age of 27 because the fact that you weren't mm-hmm. labeled, quote unquote, prior to that, I think <laughs> did something for you. And, and, and I think it goes back to what yeah, we were just talking about with the race topic. Like if we didn't have all these little labels, mm-hmm. you're this or you're that, or men and women and all the various little things that we do to kind of segregate ourselves and find our own meaning in life, you didn't have that, that meaning 
on your radar that, oh, this is part of the equation too. And so it didn't, it's just Mm -hmm. interesting how when people hear something about themselves, like their mindset can shift, which is a lot of what a paradigm and a paradigm shift is. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's, there's some interesting things that have happened in your own experience that feed into some of what you do to, you know, help and lift others now as well. Do you want to talk about it all? Yeah. Do you want to talk about, about what happened when you were 20 or not? Because something happened. Uh... Yes. <laughs> so um, I, had this, I had this mission. I had this mission that I was going to be a millionaire. Okay. Everyone said it was going to happen. I mean, any kid that's running a, a tuck shop in the school that the school have to shut you down because you're bankrupting the, the, the vending machines because nobody's coming to the vending machines. I taught myself to make computers at the age of 13 and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I was like, oh, this guy's going to make it, you know, he's, he's going to do it. And then uh, I went and did it. I made my first million by the age of 19. All good, except I accidentally broke the law uh-huh. by not having the right licensing for the business that I set up. Hmm. Lost everything, like everything, lost everything. And, and it was basically left penniless. So then I went around, I went, I went off and I, I decided, you know, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. So I tried again, a lot more careful this time, made sure I knew what I was doing, sought counsel, which I hadn't done before. I was an arrogant little toe rag that thought he knew everything, sought counsel, got right guidance, and then people stole everything the next time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. I got, I got, everything got stolen. And, it, and I, that time I was, after that, I was like, you know, this is, I just give up. No, because before then I was working with a model that I called vision, purpose, faith, gratitude, which was the precursor to, um, to beyond intention. I was like, well, maybe I'm just lying to myself and living in a fantasy world all this time, thinking that I was doing something real mm-hmm. because if it was real, then it would be repeatable. And I, I wouldn't have just, you know, cocked up twice. And so I, I ended up following the breadcrumbs on it and actually understanding my journey since, since about the age of 25 had been, understanding what had gone wrong with the model that I put forward before because something clearly worked because it happened. I got what I set out to get and that was happening consistently, but it wasn't staying. And what I found since then through my work with beyond intention and do there is the reason why things don't stay even or that they don't come up in the first place. Cause one of the, the truths about the reality that we live in is every thought has the potential to become a thing because it's a thing already. It's just not physically experienced, but becoming the bridge between that thought and our real world, our material world is one thing, but becoming the bridge to something that stays is something else. You can ask any lottery winner, 90% of them go back to where they were within five years. They can't hold it. Even if they were able to manifest or create that experience in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's really very interesting stuff, and uh, boy, you made you made your first million as a teenager. Essentially, that's uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so, congratulations on that. Not so much on the struggles that followed and the losses you took, but uh, <laughs> you know what I've real, I've taken some big losses too in various ways. When I can get into my stories, but uh, I've come to realize that you just take the lesson and be grateful that you had the experience. Mm. And uh, it, like someone said recently, mm. and I've held on to this, that you never lose in life. You either win or you learn. And, and that yeah, sounds like a lot of too. what, if you let yourself, 
you can learn or you can let yourself destroy yourself. If something goes wrong, oh my goodness, I better go in this downward spiral and, and mm-hmm. utter destruction. But now you, you grappled with some suicidal things and some real uh, deep struggles during a lot of this, from what I understand. And, and you developed this. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about how this system, this beyond intention, both was born and what it's all about. Cause it's a four step system and uh, it'd be beneficial. So we're clear on what it is and, and how you came up with this. <laughs> sure thing. So like I said before, we're, in, we're on vision, purpose, faith, gratitude. And what that model was, was you hold a very clear vision of what you desire. Um, you act purposefully every day. I got that from Wallace D. Wattles' model, being the advancing man, filling your place every day so you expand. And you do so with faith that it's going to come up. So certainty, you know, Tony Robbins, the whole certainty model. And then you're grateful every day and you'll just stay in gratitude. So that's where I was first. Something went wrong, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't working. And then w- what I understood was that gratitude has to come beforehand, number one, mm. and that none of this works if I'm not aligned with the outcome that I, that I want. And none of that, you know, all of this conversation is completely pointless unless I accept my responsibility for the world that I live in. And this is what happened for me, you know, when I, I lost everything the second time and I just looked at the losses and I was like, what's the point? You know, I, I, I realized now looking back how much of my identity had become tied up with successfully achieving things and getting it done. And when I looked at the fact that I'd just, just completely miserably completely failed, I was like, well, there's nothing to do here. I've just wasted, you know, 24 years of my life chasing this idea. I looked at the fact that I'd lost my place at Oxford university and who was I blaming for that? And, you know, just, I, and I just said, do you know what, what's the point? And the only reason why I didn't commit suicide at the time, Phil, was that I didn't have a surefire way of successfully doing so. And my fear was I would fail at something else. So, you know, you see people that try to cut their wrists and they've got the scars. I was like, well, I'm going to have those pathetic scars. If I try and hang myself and somebody finds me, then, then I'm that guy that tried to kill himself and that's pathetic. And I don't want to end up in a hospital. I've, I've, I've been to the hospital with people who tried to kill themselves and everybody's looking at standing around them, feeling sorry for them. And I was like, well, just, I, I can't take another failure. I just, I couldn't do it. And in that moment, what I realized was that the only way that I'd be able to successfully commit suicide is if I commit all of my mental resources, all of my power, all of my effort to working out the means to successfully commit suicide. I became obsessed with that. But what accidentally happened, Phil, was that I actually saw, well, I have a model that sometimes works. What didn't work with that? So if I understand what didn't work with that, then I can make sure that I create a reality where I successfully kill myself. And on the way, I kind of forgot about the suicide and got caught up with understanding the model. As more of what I'd missed in my earlier model came to light, as more revelations came, as I continued my study, I accidentally found hope. And that seed planted became the thing that's kept the, the dark dogs of suicide or depression at bay. Wow. 
That's really, really fascinating. And a little, in my opinion, and what I'm hearing in my non-expert opinion, a little insight into the the mind, the Asperger's and all that, which again, I don't like the labels, but I would say very, very, very definitely oriented. Yeah. But, and also, yeah, very, very, your perfectionism surrounding that is one of the things that kept you with us, thankfully. And I'm glad that you are for whatever the reason was. Um, So, so it's somewhat ironic that through that journey of trying to figure out quote unquote, the perfect suicide, uh, you developed a system to actually create a successful, meaningful, lastingly joyful life. And uh, I, yeah. I don't know that the right thing to say is I love that, but I, there's something about that that I do love. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the story. Love away, love away, Phil. Yeah, I love, love it. Away, I, I'm going to love it. There we go. <laughs> so There we go. But yeah, it, was that central, it was that central idea. Yeah. No, you're welcome, you're welcome. But it was a central idea anyway that – Everything that I was trying to run away from, I was the common thread in all of those experiences. And that's where common denominator theory came forward, mm-hmm. which is what became except step one of Beyond Intention, accepting that I'm the author and creator of my life. Everything that's happened up till now, I've created and anything that's going to come from now, I will create, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people have heard these concepts uh, in some form. We've heard of the secret or other various ways, mm-hmm. think and grow rich, these old things, uh, just books and various uh, ways that these things are out there. But uh, we've talked on our podcast, the word alignment, uh, which uh, someone taught me mm-hmm. a long time ago from a Hebrew context, actually literally means alignment and sometimes alignment with God. And you talk a lot about alignment. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the word joy mm-hmm. in Hebrew refers to alignment uh, in a lot of ways. Talk, let's talk about alignment mm-hmm. and what that means. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, when they think alignment, I personally will start to think of, oh, my car and the tire, you know, the wheels need to be aligned. So you're <laughs> constantly hugging the shoulder of the road. Uh, so what do you, when we talk about alignment and how we live our lives, what do you mean by that? And, and in context of your system, this beyond intention paradigm, Well, let's look at reality and and what we're talking about. You know, Think and Grow Rich, great book. It deals with the mind, having a successful mind. Some strategy there, but definitely having a successful mind. You look at The Secret, it talks about how to keep your vibe up, how to be uplifted and think, you know, being positive about the outcome. Mm -hmm. But we're not just a thinking mind, are we, Phil? And we're not just an emotional state or an energetic body or like a chakra system. We're all of these things and more. We have a physical body, but we also have thoughts. We have thought quality that affects our physical choices and what we're able to experience. Right. But we also have, have an emotional aspect, a measurably energetic aspect of ourself that we, all of these pieces come together to make up who we are. And what I found over the course of my time in this world and also with the work that I do now is that generally speaking, we don't tackle all of it. You'll have someone that will, you know, they've got, relationship issues so they'll spend all their time meditating on finding the right partner but not doing anything about their limiting beliefs or this their low self-worth and certainly not doing anything to go and meet anybody and then complaining it doesn't happen you know they've got their vision board that's got the 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 cutouts (laughs) the magazine cutouts of their perfect man but he just exists in their mind they're never doing anything to to deal with their low self-esteem or their unworthiness around love or they haven't done anything to deal with the trauma that they have around experiences that happened to them 
earlier in, earlier on in life. For me, alignment is bringing all of these aspects of ourself into a place where they facilitate the thought, our intention, our desire to make its way into our physical reality. Because that thought, as it moves and becomes more dense, travels through those different aspects. And we engage with it at a different level of ourselves at every point in that journey. Yeah. We have the choice in what we're actually choosing to, to create. We have the emotional relationship to it. We have the thought on it. Do we believe it's possible? And then we have our actions, how we show up every day. Unless all of those are lined up, all of those are aligned with the outcome as we want to see it, it's not going to happen. And everything that we do experience, we're experiencing because on some level of consciousness, we chose it. Emotionally, we're able to hold it. Our energy field is able to hold it. Our thought quality facilitates us believing it's possible. We don't experience anything that we haven't mentally rehearsed. And our habits, our actions, our choices, our environment allow us to hold it. That's why when I made money before, I couldn't keep it because I didn't know the systems for holding money. One word on a document, one word, the difference between loan and investment ran me a muck of the law. The law took it. The next one, trusting the wrong people, not having... Uh, trained myself on how to deal with people and how to have discernment in the people that I went into business with. And it was stolen away. Whereas if I had taken the time out to make sure that I knew what I was doing physically, mentally, and emotionally, then all of that great inner work that allowed me to manifest wealth and abundance would have stayed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting, uh, you know, set of principles behind manifesting and, and holding on to things because that's really the key at the end of the day, isn't it? It's not just something mm. was there and then disappeared. And yes, sometimes that's part mm -hmm. of life in various ways and for various reasons. But um, doing your part and understanding the principles behind holding on to the things you do want uh, is a real, real important uh, aspect of that. It, one of the things I've observed, you talked about anxiety a little bit ago. Um, mm -hmm. various people I've known, thankfully I, for one, haven't really dealt with much of that in my life. I've got some of my own things, but mm. it hasn't ever been that, but the f folks who deal mm. with anxiety, uh, at some higher level, we might say I've noticed seem to have more of a knack at manifesting. And I, I don't know, that's just my limited observation and certainly mm. not an expert opinion, but there's, there's an element of I don't know if lack of a better word, hypersensitivity that's attached to anxiety that I think allows people to hone mm -hmm. in on their thoughts and their feelings and, and details of a situation a little bit better. It, uh, from you saying, hmm, the way you are, maybe you haven't had that thought before, uh, but I've, I had anything it's to really that. interesting. Well, I was talking to well, could be. someone I mean, on, on our podcast named Megan Gallagher, and I chatted with her real quick on Instagram. She was talking about manifesting all that, and she's really happy in her life and stuff. And uh, I said, and that's one of her, like she dealt with crippling anxiety and panic attacks. And I said, I said the same thing to her. I've noticed this about people who've dealt with anxiety. And I don't know if this is just like a canned observation, but I, I'm a very observant person, if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> What, do you have any thoughts on that? We're having a real just. Well, if we're talking about if we're talking about people having overcome it, then that's people who've developed a level of mastery to command back dominion over their mind. Yeah, that's no easy feat. But do you ever so really overcome it? Overcome or to conquer that? Yeah. Do you... Well, I think for me, it's being able to resource. So, for example, when we look at depression, for example, with me, I still get the threat of depressive episodes. 
But the difference is that I'm resourced to deal with those situations and to navigate them with a level of grace that means yes. that it doesn't impact my life negatively. Yeah, so and that's it doesn't go, but I get to see it and choose whether I experience it or not. Great. And, I, and I, that's great uh, insight as well, because I feel like that's what it kind of boils down to. People are who they are for the most part. Yes, we have a growth mindset. We continue to learn and grow and develop and overcome things in ways. Some tendencies will stick with us, whether people have an addictive personality or anxiety or various other things uh, or depression. Um, in various degrees, all these things exist in people in different ways. But having the tools to manage them is kind of the key. It sounds like from what you're saying, uh, because like even Megan, when we yeah, talked, I think so. It's she still struggles with these things, but having some tools and things in place uh, obviously helps offset the, the negative aspects and then turning these things and framing it right to, this is actually a good thing. I'm a very sensitive person and I'm aware mm-hmm. of my surroundings and, and what's going on and, and turning that into a positive instead of, focusing on all the potential negative flip side of that coin, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about? I'd, I'd agree. Ways? I'd agree. Oh yeah, definitely. Because we're, again, she's demonstrated to her reality that she's resourced to, to, to play a different level of game with it. Mm-hmm. And that different level of game involves her taking more responsibility because overcoming or navigating a challenge such as anxiety is not one that you can do while blaming other people. You have to, take the bull by the horns yourself. And that level of acceptance coming back to beyond intention, again, underpins everything. I can't change something whilst myself, whilst I'm saying someone else is responsible for it. Mm -hmm. And once I've taken that dominion back, I can start to direct it into creating something else in other areas of my life too. Beautiful. And when we talk about intention, now you call this beyond intention and Yes. Can people be truly successful without intention? And why do we call this beyond intention, this uh, approach that you have? Well, for me, in the work that I do with people, I actually currently take them through three levels of what we're choosing. Everything for me comes down to choice and alignment. So the three levels I teach are, number one, creating your reality through the intentions that you set. Number two, creating your reality through, for bet, want of a better phrase, through the vibration that you're holding, which is really just the emotional state that you're, 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 you're operating at. I say reality wraps around how you feel, and that's another conversation. And the third level, which is the one that I teach at my retreat, I've actually got people arriving down in Cabo today. We're doing a, a retreat this weekend where we talk about the agreements that you hold. So when we're talking about intention, I define that as me consciously choosing to disrupt whatever unconscious pattern I'm operating on. We're we're operating on unconscious patterns most of the time. I think Bruce Lipton says it's like 90 to 97% or something running on the unconscious. But when I step up and consciously say, I'm going to disrupt this existing pattern and interject with this conscious choice, I'm setting an intention. That's how I define it. So when I'm saying about getting beyond intention, what I'm saying is, getting beyond the need to keep disrupting the underlying pattern because the underlying pattern is pretty much doing what I want it to do anyway. So my life is more on autopilot moving in the direction that I want it to operate at. So I may be nudging it here and there, but I'm not needing to keep interjecting, interjecting, interjecting because my, my love life, my finances and my health are automatically going where I don't want them to be. They're now starting to veer more towards a positive bias 
than a negative bias. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you explaining that too. Uh, you talk to people and help them a lot with manifesting money. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about that process uh, as far as more in depth, what that means and how people can better their approach to that and their success rate, let's say, <laughs> and of course, holding on to it, mm-hmm. which is another thing we've been talking about. Here. <laughs> Definitely holding on to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I love to do is I love to desensitize the, the charge that we have. Oh my God, I'm manifesting money. You know, I think <laughs> most of us have something that we're charged about. You know, some people are charged around relationship. Some people are charged around health, you know, but a lot of people are charged around money. And the thing is that money is, it's just a medium of exchange. It doesn't have an opinion. It doesn't have its own stories. It just has the stories that we project onto it. Money is the root of all evil. Misquote is the love of money is the root of all evil. But you've got these massive collective agreements that have been formed that are keeping people in lack. And that lack limits their choices because in terms of the reality that we live in, makes it easier to execute choice. It doesn't fix everything. It's not going to make you happy but it does give you the capacity to make more choices. So first things first, we're just losing that charge around it. And then we're going through the process of beyond intention, which is accept, taking responsibility, clear, removing the emotional charge, gratitude, connecting to the outcome I want, listen, checking for feedback. Am I still aligned with it? If not, going back through those steps, reestablishing alignment in how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking and what I'm doing, so that I facilitate that thought, the desire to have more money, for example, becoming a part of my reality that stays. Okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it's, I think it's worth a lot of us people realizing that you can have and choose to deserve money, more money and in abundance, not just, oh, I just make my Definitely. ends meet. I'm not, I'm not that person. I'm not one of the Carnegie family or Rockefellers or even Trump. I'm not. One, I'm not one of those people. I'm one of these peasants, and I and I can just operate barely making ends meet, if that. Um, and we're not obviously talking down to any of that. And certainly, I've struggled with some of that. You know, I grew up in a situation, mm-hmm. and a lot of us it, it comes from childhood, like some sort of scarcity existed, and uh, and mm-hmm. was then implanted in us in some ways. And how do we break that? Like, how do we break these approaches of, well, I don't deserve it or I don't need it or someone needs it better than me. Maybe we're scared too on top of it. So we just use that as an excuse. Like, Oh, I'm scared of having money, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but I think in some ways people without admitting it are scared of having (laughs) lots of money. Definitely. Uh, How do we break those? those, Yeah. How do we break through all that? Well, I think it starts with identifying where we want to get to. I think a lot of people, saying, oh, you know, I want to change my relationship to money and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I love to talk about it like with, with the whole Brexit thing that happened with, with, with the UK and Europe. You know, a lot of people are like, Brexit, we want freedom from Europe. Yeah, but you, you've been a part of Europe for the last couple of decades. What are you going to do? <laughs> What's on the other side? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we've got this desire, but what does it look like? What does the new, the new norm look like? Because I want more money. Yeah, but what does that look like for you? You know, the amount of time I've worked with people, and this, this happened even a couple of months ago, a woman was in one of my programs and we're looking at her financial fi- freedom figure. And for me, financial freedom is when you have enough money to cover your needs without needing to work. You can still choose to work, but you don't need to because your needs are met. 
She comes along and she says, yeah, my financial freedom figure is $100,000 a month. I said, what conceivably do you want to do that's going to mean that you need $100,000 every month? Um, you know, just getting her to look at what she actually wanted. So instead of looking at it from the, the money, look at it from the life that she wants and start to break it down. She realized actually her financial freedom figure, living like her best life was like $6,000 a month, mm-hmm. a much more achievable thing, right? But she hadn't brought the light of awareness, the light of attention to it sufficiently enough to create a clear narrative to move towards. So coming back to beyond intention, coming back to the flow funnel, it starts with what do I actually want? Having clarity on that and interrogating it to make sure it's what I want and not what society's told me I want. Mm, Yeah. It sounds like it gets down to needs versus wants and also your why. Um, And it's not to say, obviously, Mm -hmm. because we're talking about abundance with money, it's not to say someone should shy away from trying to have $100,000 or a billion dollars a month. No, no. But uh, it's... It's, it's understanding kind of the purpose because when you're talking about freedom, it's, it's meeting your needs and living a comfortable life without having mm-hmm. to work. So that's a very simple definition. And then you get to a place of, well, mm-hmm. now let's move on to abundance if you want to be rich and whatnot. Exactly. 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 And, you know, now that woman's in my six-figure club, you know, she, she, she's on six figures a year, annual income, passively. She doesn't Great. need to work. But would she have gotten to this place if she'd started off shooting for a hundred thousand a month, probably not because at that point she was saying, Oh, it's too big a task. What am I going to do? She wasn't able to conceivably envision herself having freedom because she'd attached to it, this insurmountable task of a hundred thousand dollars a month. The second that it became 6,000 within a few months, she got to it. And now she's able to start looking at what she's going to do next and expanding into it. She probably will end up at a hundred thousand a month at some point, if that's what she chooses to move towards, but she's not going to waste her energy and her thoughts going to chase something that she doesn't need. She's going to have that awareness, that energy, that focus, enjoying a life that she actually wants. Yeah. And that's a great approach because if we, if we really think about it, that's how life works. It's a line, line upon mm-hmm. line, step by step thing. And maybe you want to get to $100,000 or like say a billion dollars a month. <laughs> Who knows what, the various things. Exactly. But Whatever at the same do. time, you don't go from zero to billion dollars tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, that's never happened in the history of mankind. But you can, <laughs> you can have a process. And that's not to create exactly. any limiting belief. I guess in some way, maybe that could happen. But um, being realistic and, and getting a system in place to actually, okay, let me get to this place and then this next place. And every, every successful person I know has done that. It's, it's a step by step by step to get to the next level and then the next level or through, you know, they're buying real estate. You have to buy one property and get that mm-hmm. where it needs to be and mm-hmm. buy the next one. And before you know it, you have a hundred. But, you know, when I started with the podcast, I started with zero episodes and now this is 120 something. Mm-hmm. You have to start somewhere uh, and, and realize, mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's what we do as people. And don't get overwhelmed by the the billion dollars a month idea because, oh, I'm making a thousand dollars a month now. What the heck? (laughs) Let's get on to 2000 and then up to four and five and 10. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And you know what, Phil, this is where I sometimes divert from some of my peers because I'm like, let's honor where we're at. Let's honor the agreements that we have, right? Let's honor the collective agreements that exist in the world. And for me, a collective agreement is just an idea that's given more life because more people hold it, a belief that's given more life. You know, there are established lines of industry. 
there is the construct of time. All these ideas that are given life by our belief, our agreement to it. Mm-hmm. And when we start looking at things like infinite possibility, and be, oh, yeah, of course I can do it. Yeah, but if you don't believe it, it's, no, it's not going to happen for you. It doesn't matter that it exists as a, a possibility in the quantum field of possibilities or even that your fortune teller told you that she saw it. If you don't believe it's possible, it doesn't matter how many checks for a million dollars you post around your house. That's not going to bring you a million dollars if you don't believe it's possible. No. And it's certainly not going to do that if you're not taking actions that are aligned with the version of you that's able to hold and experience a million dollars. It's not going to happen. But by you chipping oh. away at the narrative that you're holding now, and moving step by step towards the narrative that you're choosing, going from one to thousand to two thousand to three thousand to four thousand, that's when you get there. And that's where I, over the last 20 years I've been in this world, have seen results for myself and others. Over the past few years that I've worked with people to support them, improving their life, that's where they've seen change too. Chipping away at the current story yeah. to create the story that they want. Absolutely. That is fire. That is everything right there. And, and as you do that, the confidence level uh, builds and grows till it finally explodes in a good yeah. way to where it's just there that, okay, I got to 2,000. I got to 5,000. I can get to a million. These are just mm-hmm. numbers. And, and you make a million dollars look mm-hmm. small. Someone taught me that in the last six months. Like Instead of looking at that as the top of the ladder, a million, because for a lot of people, that's like, well, because that's where you get to another digit, the million dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but make a million dollars feel small, but start at a thousand and two and and build and your confidence grows. And then you realize you can, if you Mm -hmm. can get to those numbers, you can get to any number. It's just, uh, it's exactly that gradual. It's the same with losing weight. It's the same with anything. You don't go from 500 pounds to 150 overnight. You go down to 450 and (laughs) whatever, whatever it is at time. Everything's a process. I know we're out of time. I'd love to keep, let's do a sequel down the road, but, uh, you talk definitely coming in for that yeah paradigms choice shifting all these things and uh you've got a book the money game i want everyone to go uh look for that and also you've got a podcast yourself uh do it with dan right mm-hmm. so yeah we definitely need to get you on do it with dan as well and find out a bit more about your story oh, <laughs> something's yeah, telling me there's something interesting there too so we'll definitely get uh we'll definitely get that on the cards too i'd love that well, great, Dad. Thank you so much for your time and insights. I've loved it. Very uplifting experience. And, uh, you know, congratulations and everything in Cabo and enjoy your retreat with all these folks. And uh, we'll be in touch. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Definitely. Yes, thank Thanks. You. Really appreciate this opportunity. For our audience, uh, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.